Good afternoon. I hope you've all been enjoying the uh, <coughs> shenanigans going on in America this week. It's been very entertaining. Mr. Trump is a very entertaining man. <laughs> Considering he's got what he... He's sort of in charge of one of the biggest armories in the world. <laughs> he walks from one catastrophe to another, and he uh, it doesn't seem to bother him at all. He's an interesting character. So this week... Uh, the title, I don't know who thinks these titles up, uh, the title for the talk is How Can I Take the Precepts If I Don't Exist? Well, if you didn't exist, no, you couldn't take the precepts because there wouldn't be anyone there to take them. Which means that if you're taking the precepts over the past six months, you must exist. What they probably mean is this, this aspect of anatta or not-self. I presume maybe they're talking about that. The people that make up these titles are not the people that do the talks. <laughs> They've usually just walked into the monastery. <laughs> In another four or five years, they'll be saying the same thing <laughs> as I'm saying now when they have to come and sit up here and give a talk. But it's relevant, it's, uh, it's, a, good, it's, a, good, uh, it's a good title in a way, if we get, get it into perspective, because it's something that uh, interests all of us, because it applies to all of us, we're all the same. Yourself, me, Agent Amaro, Mr. Trump. In one way, in one level, we're all the same. Exactly the same. No different. Just, as, just the conditioning processes have been dis different through our lives. So we're all different people. Every, every, everybody in here is a person. With a personality. And we're all different. We're all different through gender, but but even in, although we're different in gender, still we're still human beings. Women are human beings, men are human beings, boys are human beings, girls are human beings. One level we're all exactly the same, and then another level we're all totally different. And this is uh, as it should be, as it is. This is the natural way of things. But to, to, to think that we don't exist, think that the Buddha said that we don't exist, he didn't say that. He said this, this aspect of anatta, which is quite uh, p particular to the Buddha's teachings, really. It means that uh, as we exist, the way we are, the forms we have, 
and then the the mentor, the uh, the thoughts we have, the way the mind works, our values, our conditioning. Listening to an Ajahn Sumedho talk, I like to listen to Ajahn Sumedho's talks. He's my favourite teacher. Actually, his talks are very interesting. They're very they're very broad, but they always point back into ourself again. And he was saying, you know, how we we just live our lives. And he said he was saying that we when he first came to England, he'd never he'd never lived in England before he was a monk. And then he when he came and they started to live in in the place in um, in London first, and then in West Sussex, Chithurst, beautiful monastery. Be lovely now, autumn just coming in. <laughs> One of the things he, he noticed when he first came was how class conscious English people are. We all, we're all belong to our, our little class. I'm working class. You can probably hear from my accent. <laughs> I was born in North London. My parents were born in, in the East End. My, my grandparents, my grandfather were both, were both bricklayers. I'm very working class. <laughs> we all did some time in the army. We're supposed to do. And so this, well, I'm, I'm conditioned by the parents I was born to, the place where I was born, the time I was born. I was born during the Second World War, actually. And the three the three houses next to it, to our one. In the street where I lived, they 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 took they took a bomb or a couple of bombs one night. So we had that experience of being there when all this violence was going on around us, aeroplanes coming over and dropping explosives, trying to. They weren't trying to kill us, they were, they were trying to blow up the railway. We just happened to live near a railway. Not a good idea to live in during the Second World War. Wasn't a good idea to live near a railway. So the two, the, we were, I think our house was either the third or the fourth one from the railway fence. So, so then when I grew up, there was, we were the last house and between us and the fence was a big gap where there used to, used to have been two or three houses they're the ones that took the, took the bombs. Because they didn't have very good bomb, bomb aimers in those days. They just dropped it through a hole in the floor and hoped it would hit the railway, hit the railway. They were trying to blow up the railway lines so that we couldn't use them. But uh, it, was, it was touch and go where, where the bomb actually landed. And if you lived anywhere near the railway fence, 
you were in a dangerous position, actually. And my dad was a postman. You can't get much more working class than that. <laughs> so as I grew up, I, everything around me pointed to the fact that I was working class. So that's what, that's what I accepted, and that's what I am. Even if I became a millionaire, trillionaire, I'd, still, I'd be a working class millionaire. <laughs> and as you know, Samedo said, he'd never seen this before, because in, in, in America they have a different idea. People went to America to, to do better, to get out of... If you, if, if you remember the, when immigrants went to America, especially after the war, it was because they'd been left with virtually nothing. So they immigrated to America, the land of the free, where you could get on and make money and get a nice house and become something. So he, he, he said when he grew up in America, they didn't grow up with this, this idea of a class. They weren't all in a separate class. They were all there to... Uh, the land of the free to do better, to make of themselves what they could make of themselves. It's what we call a programming, isn't it? Or a, uh, and that's how it is actually in life. If you're a, if you're a woman, born as a woman, a few women here today, quite a lot then your, your outlook on life would be different to mine. I was never, I've never, not in this lifetime, I've never lived as a woman, so I don't really know what that's like. Actually, now having lived, having lived as a monk for a few years, I've had that conditioning. But I'm a working class monk, whereas most of these other boys are middle class monks. They've all been to university. Very few, very few men come here and come into the Sangha that haven't been to university. I went to to a secondary modern. I left school at fifteen. So this is just a, a, a training, isn't it, for us? It's, that's just the way it is. And, and all of our life is like this. None of it is really solid, has any solidity to it. If we look at our lives as we live, we suffer sometimes. People get on our nerves. Life doesn't treat us right. And we suffer. Some people seem to suffer all the time. But this man in America, Mr. Trump, he's an interesting character because he seems to go from one disaster to another. This, this last week's been very interesting, watching it all. But he seems to walk out the other side and, he, and he's perfectly all right. And then a few weeks later, he's in another, it's, he goes into something else. But it doesn't seem to make much difference to him. It seems to be what his life is like. There was the stuff with that 
let film star. And that was followed by the meeting with Mr. Putin, which, if anything, should have been a disaster for him. That should have been. <laughs> and now it's been this thing with this getting this High Court judge into his position. And yet he's fine. Traumas or disasters that would send the rest of us into tears, I should think, or into a lot of worry, don't seem to bother him at all. That's, he's that type of person. He's not a politician anyway, he's a businessman. And he knows how to succeed in business. If you're a businessman, means you're a success. If you're not a success, then you're not a businessman. And he always seems to come out of these things that seem so disastrous. He always comes out, okay, he's okay. A few other people are not, but he's okay. Because this is his conditioning, the way he's conditioned. And then he just goes, in, goes on and then he goes into the next interesting experience. So we're all conditioned, we're all conditioned by life, our experiences of life. But the interesting thing is, it's not just this life. One of the interesting factors of the Buddha, uh, his teachings, is this idea of rebirth. When I read my first book on Buddhism, which was when I was in, after I'd gone to Australia, and I found a I found a Buddhist book in a library. It was, the only, it was the only Buddhist book that was there, as far as I know. It was the only one I could find. And it was, I just happened upon it by chance. And uh, when I read about some of the, the Buddha's teachings, one of the things that really grabbed me was this idea of rebirth. I'd never really heard of that before. I'd heard of reincarnation, but it was a sort of different thing. And the way the, the, what the Buddha talks about. I didn't know what it meant anyway, <laughs> properly. And it's interesting for us to um, contemplate this because it has a, uh, an effect on our lives as we live today, according to the Buddha anyway. Unless, you, uh, unless you've got a really good memory, which most people haven't, most of us can't remember what happened in the last life, if there was a last life, as we say. According to the Buddha, uh, that the, the effect of that life, aspects of that life come into this life. And are part of the conditioning process so even before we were little babies, uh, there were things, actions that were done, relationships that were had, speech that was spoken, that affect, that are going to do affect, or do affect, and are going to affect this life, our life. 
So this idea of not self doesn't mean that there's there's no one there's no one there that, that we aren't anything. So this title of uh, if I'm not anybody, actually it's it's the opposite to that. We're we're according to the Buddha, we um we're not only this person, but this person is also influenced and to a certain extent programmed by previous lives. And the, the lives that will, that will be to come are programmed by this life, to a certain extent. It's not that we, we become the same person exactly, but still there's, there's influences from the actions we do, or the actions that we've done. This is why this is why we've all got different characters. You got if you've got three children, they're not all exactly the same. They've all got their own little characters, hasn't it? Once they get to two, then that, that character start, starts to manifest, doesn't it? They start to become quite individual. Even if they're twins, they'll have their, their individuals. They've, they've got their differences. Their behavior is not exactly the same. They have the same mom, they were born at the same time. They have the same father. You think they would be exactly the same person, but they're not, are they? Twins are not, not exactly the same. Triplets. They're all little people in their own right. They'll have similarities. But. And the changing process or the conditioning process goes on right through life. Once we're born, we experience different things. So as we grow, we have experiences that change our outlook, change our view of life. We learn things which change our understanding, not just our view, but our actual understanding. We learn, we learn skills. We have to learn a living. Uh, we partner up with someone else, have children of our own. And all these are a conditioning sort of process. Although those conditions weren't there on the first day of our birth, uh, when we're by when we're by the time we get to thirty, we've learnt lots of we've learnt lots of lessons in life. We've learnt lots about life, and and that what we what we have learned adds to our personality. So it depends depending on what you do. If you studied a lot, then you you would have a you'd be quite bright, maybe in some intellectual knowledge. Or if from since you were young, uh, if you had a father that was work was uh, physical, bricklayer or carpenter or something like that, maybe you learned some of those skills off of him. So that by the time you're 30, you might be quite skilled in being able to do 
physical thing, building work or something like that. When you're born, you, well, you can't drive, but then by the time most of us are 20, we're able to drive, but we have to take driving lessons to learn how to do it. But once we've got it, then, then it's ours. We've got the skill, then it belongs to us, and it's part, it becomes part of our, our character. So our whole of our life is, is like a, a conditioning process, really. But the conditioning doesn't just come from this life. It comes from previous lives. And what we learn in this life, some of it will go on to the next life. According to Buddha, then this is just one of a number of lives that we have. The interesting thing about it all is that it's not really stuck because none of it is actually what we could call a self. It, in other words, it's not something that actually belongs to us. It's just uh, something that we're processed by. We, we're sort of, um, let's say, conditioned by. The other interesting thing, what the Buddha pointed out, is that we can, we can be part of not just of the conditioning itself, but we can be part of the process that conditions. And the other aspect of this, uh, this the title of this teach is about taking the precepts. Because the conditioning process doesn't stop. It just goes on through our life. All the time we live, then we can change, or we do change. This change can take place. So how do we change? We can change in a way that's wholesome and good. And if those, uh, if those aspects of life stay with us, then they help us to live a good life. If we, if we, if what we learn as we grow up is something that is unwholesome, if we get in with bad people or maybe our families were not all that good, taught us some bad ways, then that, that badness comes into our life, that unwholesomeness comes into our life, unwholesome behavior, becomes part of our, our behavior, so then it becomes part of our personality. And this is the um, what we call the the process of becoming. So the precepts actually are quite important to us because um, it's good for us to understand what is wholesome behaviour and what is unwholesome behaviour. Because one thing we are, when you look at um, the rest of the Life on life forms on the planet is we have a certain amount of intelligence and we are able to make up our own mind about things. And in doing that, we are, we are able to change our mind about things. So the process, the processes, the process of conditioning that we've been through, some coming, over, coming from previous lives, the ones that we go through when we're young, 
as we grow up. And we begin to we begin to look at look at ourselves, observe ourselves as we mature. And if there's if there's things that we don't like, we can change them. And this is where why it's good to have the precepts because the precepts tell us or give inform us or give us an idea of that which is wholesome and that which is not wholesome. So the lay people take on, when they, if they wish to, they take on the five precepts and this, this is the guidelines for their life. We have, we have quite a lot, lot more precepts than that once we come into the Sangha, but they're not all sort of moral precepts. So a lot of those are just like guidelines uh, because we live a special lifestyle. So we have to learn how to do that. And one of the ways of, of the Buddha that showed us how to live this, the lifestyle, say, of monks or nuns, the same, is to give us a rules to live by, which we, which we have to sort of obey. And then as, as we live as monks or nuns, keeping these rules, then we change gradually. And then after some years, we become monks and nuns, sort of naturally. We naturally know what not to do and what to do. And those rules obviously are different to what the lay people have. But he give, he, the lay people, he gives, he gives, uh, gives them the, um, the five precepts. Five is not too many, really, when you think about it, although it, people find them difficult enough. But actually, five is not many. It's all on one hand. You've got a handful of precepts. There's <laughs> a refrain from killing, refrain from stealing, refrain from sexual misconduct. Refrain from telling lies. These are just the basic aspects of behaviour as a human being. When we keep these precepts, they turn us into good human beings, wholesome human beings, human beings that, that are fairly easy to live with closely or just in, in any sort of relationship. And also the, the, the other aspect of, of, this, uh, of, this, of our lives is that if we see something in ourselves that we don't like or we see is causing us difficulties or suffering, then we can change it simply by observing it, by knowing it in itself. Once we know, like, like I don't know about other animals, because in this life I've never been another animal, but I know about human beings, and I am well aware that if I observe my behaviour, and then in, the, in what I observe, if I see that causes me problems, I can change. I can change that aspect of my behaviour uh, that I don't like, if I wish to. It, might, it takes a little bit of work, but still, a bit of effort. But one can, can do that as, human, as a human being. So, so we're not sort of stuck. Uh, having been born, we're not just stuck in this, in this role as we are. As we grow, 
we can develop in, in many different ways, mentally, physically, psychologically. We can, we can develop in a way that causes us and other people trouble, or we can develop in a way that is uh, good, that is wholesome, that, 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 that causes us to have a sense of ha happiness within ourselves. Don't need to depend upon other people to make us happy. This is the, uh, the tendency in life is that we, we, look, we look for someone to make us happy, to, to give us happiness, make us feel wanted or contented. But actually, that, that to, the ability to create happiness already lies within ourselves. And this is where the precepts and other aspects of uh, using our own intention as we live it comes in handy because it means that we don't necessarily depend upon others. When we, when we meet up with others that we like or we, who we relate to, we fall in love with or whatever, um, Yes, they, they help in, in the process of our happiness. But we can't always depend upon them being in such a way that they are always making us happy. That's not fair, is it? They can't depend upon us for that. We can't de depend upon them for that. There are some aspects of our, of our own personality, of our own happiness in this life. Uh, that is our own responsibility. People have different ideas. We all have different ideas of, of uh, say, humour. What, what makes you laugh can be very uh, dependent upon the person. What makes one person laugh doesn't make another person laugh. But what makes us happy it can, can be a general thing or it can be an individual thing. So there are certain, certain aspects, although we live a communal life, family life, uh, communal lives that we live sometimes, it's still our own, uh, the responsibility for our own happiness and for our own well-being that uh, still li lies with us. It can be shared if we're in a, say, a family group, relationships with other human beings. It, it's a shared, it can be a shared um, process. But even in that shared process, uh, a lot of the responsibility is still ours, depends on us. Because no other person can be what we want them to be because they've got their own personality. They've got their own, what we call their own self. Their own self. And so the Buddha gave the, the five precepts for us, because he says, if you keep these five precepts, then this is the basic precepts for a human being. If you look at the precepts, you'll find that very few animals can keep those precepts. Because most animals 
there's, there's a basic instinct in them to kill. Cat kills the mice, kills the birds, and then animals kill each other for food, don't they? They live by preying on each other. You look at, if you look on the, on the internet, you'll see films about the Af animals in Africa and other places, how they hunt each other. They have to, because they want to survive, because they eat each other. So the instinct to kill is the instinct to stay alive for them. So it's very, it's very hard for them not to do that if you tell a lion not to kill the other beasts, the other animals that he lives. He said, well, what am I going to eat then? If I don't kill one of these animals, I will starve. So I'm going to kill them because this, that, that's my dinner. So for them, say, the, the first precept is not possible. Unless you provide the food for them, of course. But if they're going to live in the wild, the first precept is not possible for them. But for most of us, it is. Whether we keep it or not, then there's something else. There's something else in it, isn't it? It's, it's whether we find it irksome. It means that we have to do some, something in a, in a way we don't like doing it. My mother, my mother had lots of little sayings. You find people who are brought up in the East End do have lots of little funny little sayings and sort of different modes of speech. And if she, if she used to see a, a spider in the room, people, English people are very frightened of spiders. We seem to have a bit of a paranoia about spiders. And most spiders in England are not poisonous anyway. <laughs> They're poor little things. They just run away if you try to... If you try to squash them, they'll just run away because they're trying to save their life. And we ran after them. <laughs> My mother used to say, if you, if you wish to live and thrive, let a spider run alive. That's what she taught me when I was a little boy. Because <laughs> first of all, I used to want to stamp on them. <laughs> One of the interesting little sayings that she taught me. Oh, this is good, isn't it? A human being can say that. Because we, most of us anyway, we don't really need to kill any other animal, any other person, simply to survive. There may be some situations that, uh, special situations, but mostly we don't. We've created a civilization where we can live quite safely because we have civilized rules for society. And we, we agree with, once we, if we agree to live within those rules, we can live quite peacefully, quite safely without breaking the first precept to refrain from killing. Yeah, a lot of people don't. <laughs> We do. There's plenty of people who are in jail because that's exactly what they did do. They did it quite purposely, for whatever reason, to steal their money or out of hatred, revenge or 
whatever, whatever reasons they do it. But for most people, uh, we don't, usually we don't actually, because it's in our society, it's the way we've been brought up, as to see killing as uh, not something that's really wholesome or good. With Buddha's teachings, also one of the things that he encourages us to, uh, to think about is that we are the owners of our actions. Our actions have results. And of course, if it's something like killing, yes, the result is on the one that we kill. They certainly get the result of that action. But also, he says, also within ourselves, there's a result. This thing what we call karma. Cause and effect. The result of an action, all actions we do actually, uh, have a result. Any, any, any deliberate action, any intentional action, will have some sort of result. Depending on the intention behind the result, depending on how uh, the result turns out what we do, what the intention is and how the result turns out. So if, if, you're, if, you, if, you, if you knock someone over and they bash their head and they die, then you wouldn't be put in jail for that because we say that's an accident. So there was no intention there to hurt or to harm the other person. So the result then for the person that caused, maybe caused the accident is not bad because it's just an accident. In other words, it's, it's, it's an action that was done that has a result. The result was suffering for someone, and yet there was no intention by anyone to create that suffering or to cause that, that action, death. But we have, to, we have to act, we can't help it. We've got all this energy, We've got these hands, feet to walk on, hands to do things with. We've got eyes to see where we're going. Bodies that can carry us around all over the place. I've been all over the world. My little body's carried me all over the world. Or onto aircraft that have carried me all over the world. (laughs) Stealing's the same. Taking that which is not given. Taking from others, taking from others because we, we want it. And that's a quick way to get it, cheap way to get it, to take it from someone else. But when we take something from someone else, they suffer. So we're causing someone to suffer. So not are we depriving them of, of their legal goods or what is rightful for them to have, something that, that they own. We're also arousing in them suffering, unhappiness, because that was taken from them. So the, the action that we do has a result from those two things. It's not just depriving someone of their rightful ownership, but it's also the suffering that we cause them, the suffering that they feel in that also. Uh, is because of uh, the intention and then our action. So the um, 
the precepts, the five precepts that are on the um, title of the of the talk are important because they help us to judge uh, our action in our own life. What we do, we can't always control. That quite often, most of the time, perhaps we can't control other people's behaviour or action. But we can control our own. Very few people can't control their own actions. There probably are some, but very few, actually. Most of us, most of the people I know can control their own action if they think about it. We might not always do that, but we can do if we think about it. And the beauty of these two things coming together, the precepts and this idea of not self, anatar, is that we can change our mind because nothing is fixed. If, if the, this idea of self, if, if, there was, uh, if we were this sort of one person, If, every, yeah, if we were just like a self, we wouldn't be able to change. We would be fixed. But if you look in your own life, there's constant change. And there's constant change that is forced upon us by the, by the closeness or the relationship with others. There's constant change forced upon us by, say, having to work or having to go different places, travel. But we, as human beings, can choose what the change will be, how we will change. If we can see that what we're doing, what we're learning, that is changing, the thing that is changing us is causing suffering for ourselves or something, someone else, <laughs> even an animal, uh, we can stop doing it. We can stop going on, on that process and do something else, learn a different way so that it doesn't harm others. That's, that's a responsibility that we can take. We don't have to have, to have the other person or the, the other living creature, whatever it is, that we're harming. We don't need for them to tell us. We can see for ourselves and then take the responsibility or to make the karmic action of stopping and behaving in a different way that doesn't cause suffering for others. And this is the beauty of <coughs> being a human being as regards to, say, being an animal, because an animal cannot do that. Only in maybe certain, certain areas, perhaps. But we as human beings can. So we can begin to, as you, as you know very well in your own life, <coughs> we can begin to control our own life, <coughs> control our actions. And in doing that, <coughs> we determine our own future. And when we look at the future, that doesn't just mean the future like tomorrow, or next week or next year, it can mean the future of the next lifetime. Because in the Buddha's teachings, 
uh, is this word sangsara means like a travelling on. Although we die, we travel on. Something travels on. And what travels on is that which has been um, programmed or influenced by one's actions in this lifetime, one's purposeful actions. In other words, the karma. Karma means intentional action and the result of that. So because we're human beings, we have a choice. We have a choice what we do. We also have intelligence. So if we're doing, we're doing something and we see, hey, this is causing harm, this is causing harm to my next door neighbour, <laughs> making them angry or, or taking something from them or hurting them in some way, we can just stop doing that. We can talk to them because we, we are able, we have language so we can converse with each other and saying, oh, I'm sorry what I'm doing is being a nuisance to you. Is there any other way I can do it? that doesn't cause you suffering, that doesn't cause you difficulties. We can talk to each other and find out how we can live with each other without harming, without hurting each other. In other words, when we see that our actions are causing suffering, we can stop doing it. And that intention <clears throat> and that action of stop doing it is that which carries on in our life and has an effect on our life. It's called kindness, loving kindness, a caring, a caring for another person, another human being or another animal. <clears throat> that's, what, that's what karma is, is when we do an intentional action. And how the karma comes out, how it fruits, depends upon uh, the intention behind it, what the intention, why I'm doing it, if I want to get something, what do I want to get, or what do I want to give? That's a different thing, isn't it? We do something because we want to offer something to someone for their benefit, for their health, for their happiness. That's, that's a wholesome intention. When the action fruits, the power behind the fruiting is the wholesomeness of the intention. If we, if we do something to our neighbor or someone, stranger or whatever, because we wanted to hurt them in some way or we say we wanted to steal something from them or we wanted to do some sort of action, that would cause them some sort of suffering. Then when that, that action fruits, that intention is the power of the action fruiting. Is what we what we what comes to us. That was the intention to hurt, to harm. And that there's a lack of loving kindness. There's a lack of caring for someone. In other words, it's, it's a sort of a violent act, is it? Not necessarily physically, but mentally it's a violent act. So whether our intention is guided by uh, a physical action or whether it's guided by a mental action, 
both of those uh, have a result on the uh, guide the result of the of what comes from the action. And so when the Buddha when the Buddha gave us the um, precepts, he's given us guidelines. If you look at the precepts, there's only five of them, but but they fit into all of our life. So if we take them up, we we look at them, we practice them. And then what we're doing is making a, a good future for ourselves. We're a person that other people can live with, with appreciation. Because the basis of our lifestyle is friendliness, kindness. And so that is attractive to other human beings. But also the effect that it has on us is also important. Because as you know, when you know yourself, whenever you've done something nasty to someone, you've been bitchy or <laughs> you've done something or other, you've stole from them or you've deprived them of something or you've done a violent act and you've seen their sadness, their unhappiness at that, uh, that does not arouse a good feeling within yourself. So what you're feeling is what they're feeling, sad and hurt. Whereas when we do a good action that's based on that loving kindness, as the Buddha taught, right? generosity, uh, then what we feel inside is wholesome, it's good. We don't, we don't have to make that feeling arise, it arises naturally, because the actions that we do, we do are based on wholesomeness, on kindness, on, on a, a very, uh, the upper elements of being a human being. Human beings can go, can act in ways that are, that are low and violent and harmful if they wish. We do have a choice. Or we can act in ways that, like the Buddha said, are full of loving kindness, compassion and caring for others. And the results of the action will reflect these intentions. So because of this, this aspect of anatar, they're not being a rigid self that can't change. But actually, these bodies that we have change all the time. Our personalities change all the time. We don't, we don't always just then have to follow what we've done before. We can learn. We're intelligent. We can do actions and then we can say, oh, that, that, that's not a very good action because in doing that, I deprive someone else from life or I deprive someone else from their hard-earned money or the things that they buy with that money. And then we can make our own decision not to do that anymore, if we wish. Unlike other animals that tend to, to move only from instinct, we can think about what we're doing and then make a choice.
Whereas if there were a fixed, permanent self, person, even if they got reborn exactly the same every time, that wouldn't be possible because no change would be possible. But because of this, what the Buddha saw, this teaching of anatta, or selflessness, or they're not being a fixed person, we feel like a fixed person, but actually, I've changed. If, I, if I'd send my mind back to when I was oh, 10 or 12, perhaps, and all the things I've done since then, when I was still at school then, I wasn't learning much, but I was still at school. <laughs> I'm a very different, different person. I'm the same person, but I'm a different person. I'm the same, but different. I'm different, but I'm the same. Because I've done many actions since then, and I've, I've done many different things. And in all of the things that I've done, all the endeavors I've gone into, I've changed. I've changed as they, when I left school, I went to work, and what, how I worked, what I was doing, taught me different things. And then as I matured and grew up, learned different things, listening to the radio, watching the television, some study, whatever it is, Oh, in that learning, I'm a different person. I grow in what I know. And then in visiting different countries, living in different places, I learn because it's different. I have to adapt. I learn by adaption. So when I left school, 1957, I'm not the same as I was. And yet, there's something that was there all the way through. I can remember so many things all the way back to 1957 <laughs> and beyond. <laughs> Memories there. I can look back, I can think of the, 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 the mistakes that I made or the stupid things I did, unkind things I did, and then I get a certain feeling about that, especially if they were unkind, harmful. There's not too many of them, but uh, there were some. Then, then the feeling I get in that mixed in that memory is uh, one that is a bit uncomfortable or even painful. If I think of the good things that I've done over those years, I've done some nice things, then the heart is light. And there's a sense of, it's okay. That was okay. It might, it might not have been you know, hilariously happy, but it was okay. Uh, there's nothing to worry about. There's no, no remorse. If you, if you get remorse over an action, then it's a good thing to look into that action. Because there might be something in there that you need to change. But the beauty is that you can change. It's really up to us.
And what is teachings of loving kindness, which is a real basic standard for human being, because as I say before, for animals, other creatures that live on the planet, it's very hard for them to develop loving kindness. They might have a certain amount of kindness in their nature, but to be able to develop it, that's a human thing, because we can develop the qualities that, that we want to develop. And in the, in the precepts, uh, then in the four divine abidings, and then things, teachers like oh, loving kindness, uh, where the, these are things that the Buddha's teach, in the Buddha's teachings, uh, they're quite prominent, because they are things we can deliberately develop within ourselves. We can encourage other people to do it, <laughs> to develop it, we, but we can't develop it for them. But the one person that we can develop it for, the one person whose life we can change, the one person whose life we can actually make better is our own. By knowing what to develop, which is what the Buddha's teachings are all about, and then making the effort, having the intention and then making the effort. But that's up to us. That's our responsibility. And if we don't do it, well, then we don't do it. Then we don't gain what we can gain from it. The intention has to come from us, then the action. The intention first, then the action. And then the result will come from the result of those two. The intention to act, and then the action that is done. But we're probably the only, only animals on, on, the, on this planet that can do this. And this is why we're so fortunate, in a way. But we need guidelines, and so the five precepts, which people seem to find so hard to keep, <laughs> so I'm told, so they're always telling me. <laughs> when you start giving the precepts, some people get up and walk out. Because <laughs> they don't want to be on their conscience. <laughs> it's, up to, it's up to them. It's up to each person. As, as human beings, we, we have the right to do, live our own life. No one can tell us what to do. And that choice is, is that's, that's what being a human being is all about. We have that choice. But what the Buddha, when the Buddha started to teach, he taught these things not to be bossy or to push everyone around or to be sanctimonious. He taught them out of compassion because he had a great love. And when you have love, you want to express it. When a person, say if a person, most people in, in life want to have friends, they make life worth living, don't they? Friends of the opposite gender, <laughs> friends of the same gender, whatever it is that we are, ordinary friends. Or, uh, because friendship brings joy to the heart and the richness to life. 
If a person doesn't have friendship, uh, then their life can be very lonely or very introvert. Because we like to express these things that create friendship and are in friendships, which make up friendships. So the five precepts are the moral precepts, the moral actions that the Buddha tells us to refrain from. Because it's the result that comes from, from, that, from those actions for ourselves. Uh, do not lead us towards freedom and happiness. And then if we, if we develop qualities like loving kindness, compassion, friendliness, sharing with others, this is what leads our hearts towards joy. When we give, there's a joy in giving. There's a joy in getting, and there's a joy in giving. So the teachings of the Buddha always point to this, of letting go that which does not create happiness for us, does not create happiness in our relationships with others, for others. And uh, living in such a way that we are able to restrict this, uh, our, or put a, a bit of a restriction on our ability to do whatever we like. We're human beings. We can do what we like. At the moment, we're polluting the sea with plastic <laughs> and a few other places. <laughs> so now we're thinking again because we're intelligent and we have this sense of kindness. So we now want to try to put all that right. We're seeing, oh, maybe we shouldn't have been gone so much on that. And now, we, now we're trying to change. It's going to be a bit of a job, but still. Because we have that ability. And then we'll make that effort. 